Okay, people, so it is part three of this week's Echo Chamber. The last part, people. And as you continue the greatness, right there, we look at a new film and speak to another great director. What more can you ask for, right? Right? You know, the only thing is good shit. And I'm getting some people's signature. You know what I mean? You got these interviews. So let us get into it. Okay, people, so we're going to start off with a new joint, right? Cool. Yeah, it's a situation you do not want to find yourself in. Trust me. All right, so let's get into it. It is time for pounding. It's always interesting to check out someone's feature debut, you know what I mean? Now, they've usually done some shorts beforehand, but it's a whole different game when you get to that feature piece, right? And some people, man, they come out of the gates hot. Some, you can see there's something, you know what I mean? But it's not quite all there. So it's like when you get these things... You wonder, right? So, a People's Over It Signature hit me up with three new British films. So, I thought I'd check one of them out. The first one is Hounded. Okay. So, this is, as I'm saying, right? It's Tommy Boulder, Bolding, Bolding, Tommy Bolding's feature film debut. I feel that's how you say the surname. I think I might be wrong. I don't know. I don't know, people. Whew. But yeah, it's Tommy's first film. Um, it's written by Ray Bogdanovich and Dean Lines. It is produced by Ben Jacks, executive produced by Katie Wilkinson and Elizabeth Williams. And co-produced by Melissa Massey. Music is from Abby Wade and Joel Wells. Cinematography is George Burt and Martina Knitter. Um, Bolding, he edits the piece. Jeremy Zimmerman handles the casting. Louisa Lassa-Tarbach. Um, Handles production design, Cheryl Lazar Tarbach um, handles art direction. Costumes are from Joseph Crone. Uh, we've got hair and makeup from Bridget Gardner, Charlotte Leighton Woods, Christine Nicklin Rivet, and Lily Simmons. Uh, production management is Taylor Hansen and um, our cast. Well, we have got Leon played by Nubus Jr. His younger brother Chaz is played by Malachi P 
Puller Latchman. Um, then there's Vix, the friend. Uh, she's played by Hannah Traylon. And, oh God, the other one is, huh, who's that? Todd, yeah, Todd, played by Ross Coles, All right, now, they're going up against the Rednecks, well, we've got Gregory, played by Larry Lamb, who kind of instigates everything, and yeah, then we've got the Rednecks. We have got Catherine, played by Samantha Bond. Um, her brother, Hugo, played by James Lance. Hugo's son, um, Miles, who is... Hmm. Who the fuck is Miles? Uh, Lewis Whalen, right? Um, and Catherine's uncle, dad, is Remington, played by James Faulkner. Uh, they've got a gamesman, I think you would call him. Uh, Mallory, played by Nick Moran. And we also, well, there's PC Blake, played by Duncan Cassie. Um, Gerald, played by Chris Porter. Judy, played by Heather Tracy. And there's a husband and wife, played by Matt Addis. And Katrina Syrian. So, yes, there you go. Now, the gist of the piece is this. It was supposed to be just another job for Leon and his crew of South London thieves. Their latest target, a lavish manor house deep in the British countryside. That Their contact tells them the place is empty and spoils are many. Easy picking, or so they thought. Once inside, nothing is as it seems. The crew realise... They've been set up. They are abducted, blindfolded, and abandoned in the middle of nowhere. Leon's kid brother Chaz senses danger, but the others are just glad not to be in police custody. Both sides will be pushed to their limits in a no holds barred for survival. Woo! Yeah. There you go, people. There you go. Hounded. I mean, right? There's there's a load of I mean there's a load of films with that name, right? And we've come across films with that similar kind of uh setup, right? Now, in our in the press kits, right, they sum this up to things such as Hard Target, Eden Lake, The Purge, right? 
which yeah i mean i can kind of see that like elements of this in some of those films right but i think you also would look at um i think there was a film back in or i want to say early 2000s I think it was called Contender 7, right? It was this kind of reality TV show and you could go and you could join, but it was like having to kill people and shit like that. It was some, it was, I mean, it kind of went under the radar. It was a little crazy. There was that film that um, was came out over lockdown, you know what I mean? And it originally got pushed back because people were just like, oh no, we can't, we can't have this out there. I forget what it was called though, right? And at the end, they realized they picked up the wrong girl with the same name, you know what I mean? And she was an ex-army person. So there's that film, right? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a few films that have kind of taken this idea and run with it. So it was like, how, you know what I mean? How are these, how are these going to take this idea and give it this new twist? And I feel they did. I feel they gave it a nice little, you know, a little something, something, right? Now, there's always a reason for these burglaries. This one is Leon's trying to help his little brother out, right? Send him to university and cover like the whole thing not just a year but all those years because boy uni is expensive it's only meant to be one job only meant to be one job but everyone you know they're down to do more right leon isn't and i think one thing i thought was interesting because we don't always get that right he does throw out there there's other ways to make money. There's other ways. And the response is like, again, honest, right? Is this, I would rather do this than a zero-hour contract job, right? So we have these people, and they're not pretending to be virtuous or anything like that. Right, we get these real reasons for doing this. Now, you might not agree, but I thought it was interesting that that was thrown out there because it isn't always right, or it's played like this was the only thing that could be done. When we know it's not, you know what I mean. So we we have all of this, and now it's there trying to survive, right? So I think it's interesting watching them and. I've got to say, they're not the sharpest tools in the in the uh, hmm in the case. Oh boy, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. I have no clue the second part of that saying. Huh? Well, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> it took them a little while. It took them a little while to figure out they're properly in the shed. You know what I mean? Which is just like, yo, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> what the fuck? But it didn't, I just say, it didn't seem completely unreasonable for that, 
right? Because we we kind of get that they're from this estate, and you could see they ain't really traveled, right? I mean, there is a flip where you'd kind of assume <laughs> when these things are made in modern times that you've seen TV, you've seen films with these sort of elements. So you're just like, oh, fuck, I'm in that thing that I just saw. You know what I mean? But mm, took them a little while. But we, yeah, we see them try. And I have to say, I was shocked. I was shocked at the first person to buy it. Didn't expect that. Didn't expect it, right? You, I think with things like this, you'll watch them and you think, okay, right. I feel the ones that are going to survive are blah, blah, blah. Not always the case. Now, a lot of the times, you could be well be right, right? It can be pretty obvious. This one, it definitely throws you through some loops. Definitely throws you through some loops, which is interesting. And the other thing was... I think the 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 uh, uh, the com- let's just say the confrontations, the confrontation, the confront confrontations. How the fuck am I struggling with that word? It's not a hard word. It's pretty fucking simple, right? Anyway, um, you would believe them, right? Because we don't get you know no one's making these eighteen type traps. <laughs> or anything, you know what I mean? Locked in a bar, no electric, and you're coming out with a tank. There's none of that. There's none of that. But what we do get, you'd be like, oh shit, yeah, I'd buy that, right? I'd buy that. Now, our hunting crew, ooh, I mean, it's all fucked up, right? It's all fucked up, but I feel the way this is acted, very well done, right? Because everyone shows the emotions that you envision these characters would have, right? Our, our, Our thieves, our band of crooked little souls, right? You, you see that cockiness, when they're going around the house and being like, ah, but then <laughs> when they wake up in the back of a van all uh, tired, it's just like the fear. The fear is palpable. And then through the different situations, you know, trying to work out what to do, there's some arguments, there's the stress, and you buy it. You definitely buy it, right? And then, with, as I said, with our hunters, Oh, cocky, super cocky, right? Because there is that air of privilege. This is our right. This is our right. We can do this shit. Now, there is that thing where, you know, I mean, (laughs) our, our gang did trespass, right? So I think you are allowed to protect yours. But hunting people, that's a different thing, right? That's a little, ooh, messy. It's a little messy, right? And there's a, I mean, sometimes you see a dog and you think, that dog looks so adorable. Yeah, never, 
You know, when they say don't judge books by their cover, <laughs> definitely don't judge a dog by its fur because, boy, these dogs, man, oh, you do not want to bump into them in a field with no fucking trees. Boy, yeah, definitely, oh, definitely not good. But we do get some twists along the way, right? We get some fun little twists. And the ending, ending was interesting. Definitely in, now, there was, there was a, a thought I had, right? A thought I had. But we didn't get a next twist off from that, right? So the first twist, I was like, yeah, I kind of thought that might be the case. But then we get a little something else thrown out in there. And you're like, okay, okay, interesting. Because, yeah, I think there are these codes that both our groups are kind of following. You know what I mean? Which, yeah, makes them a little similar. Very different, but a little similar in that kind of fact that there's these codes, right? these bonds, though we do definitely see cracks. And it, it would have been interesting if we, we got, ah, you, I don't want to, you'll watch it. When you watch it, you will see what I'm talking about, right? There's a thing that gets said and you'd be like, oh, and you think, oh, what would have happened if, you know what I mean? What would have happened if that would have been real interesting? But yeah, I think, listen, if you like all them other films, right? If you like all that jazz, I would say you're going to very much enjoy Hounded. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, it's well acted, it's well shot, right? We get this. Backdrop of lovely countryside, you know, the sprawling fields, trees, rivers, all of this, and then this mayhem happening, right? It is, yes, great cinematography. Interactions, you believe the interactions, you know what I mean? Like the conversations between both in both groups. Yeah, you think that feels like it would be a thing, you know? There's none, there's no, like, trying to be over the top with shit, right? Which you see sometimes in stuff. You know, this is very well handled. As I said, the acting, tremendous people, tremendous. So if you want, right, a little sinister fun, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you fancy a bit of that, then I would say Hounded is going to be the film for you. Okay, people, so now we get to talk to the director of the joint. It is the great Tommy Bolding. Okay, people, so I am joined by Tommy Bolding. Yep. Is that, oh, man. I, I, first, first time. Yeah. Oh, 
that's a relief because I wasn't quite sure if I was pronouncing your name correctly. But Tommy Folding, who um, has just directed, hounded a new, uh, oh, I don't know, like I'd say kind of a psychological horror, maybe. Uh, uh, I got asked this the other day. I'm, I'm pitching it as survival thriller. I think that's. I think that's pretty. On the nose. You know what? Yeah, that's that's a that's a lot better because I was thinking like, oh, how would you? Yes, yeah, survival, obviously. So now I missed that. Nice, but yeah, hounded, which um, definitely interesting, man. Definitely interesting. Like, how did? Because you know, you didn't write this, right? No. So how do you get on board a project like this? Um, well, uh, fundamentally through uh, the producer, who in this case was Ben Jakes, and um, I worked with Ben before as an editor, um, uh, and I've known Ben for close to 20 years, but we've worked together in the film industry for uh, the best part of 10 years, if not more now, to be honest. Um, in fact, the very first uh, short film I ever edited was produced by Ben, uh, which was called Life Sentence. And I think that was in 2012. So yeah, 10 years ago now. Um, oh. And then and then we've been doing, we've worked together a few times and then we've gone off and done our own, uh, like worked on, he's produced, like he did the Hatton Garden job and he's done one shot and mm. all sorts of different movies. And then I was obviously off editing other movies as well. Um, but he always knew that I wanted to uh, try my, hand at directing and um so i think this was a case of he had a script that uh signature entertainment were interested in financing and um coming on board as 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 the backers of the film and distributing it or doing sales and um but the level of what they what everybody thought the, the film was worth i think was always a case of well it's probably a project for a first-time director um, because it wasn't a massive budget and that, therefore it probably was less of a, a risk for them. Um, and so I think at that point, Ben thought, ah, well, hang on a minute, Tommy wants to try his hand, so let's send him the script, which Brian Dean, who wrote um, Hat and Garden Job, had written and worked with Ben before. And, uh, yeah, he sent it to me and I um, loved it straight away. I mean, like it's changed a bit, but not massively since then. Like uh, we developed it a bit, and then uh, we would have shot in. Um, originally, we were hoping to shoot in uh, 2020, but then obviously COVID came along and yeah. messed up everybody's plans. And um, okay. so we took that we took that opportunity to to just spend some time developing the script a bit further, which has benefited benefited it in the long run. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, essentially, it came through Ben to me, and it was um, a case of, do are you interested? And if you are interested, what's your pitch for it? Um, and then I sort of had to sell myself a bit to Signature, um, because obviously they didn't know me as a director; they, they were aware of my work as an editor, but um, not as a director. So I did one of these sizzle reels. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, where you basically cut loads of shots from other movies that exist and splice them together with an existing piece of music and um, try and sell your feeling for the film. Mm. Um, because obviously you're not showing them what actors you're going to get and you're not using lines of dialogue that you're going to get. But it's essentially kind of like a, a, a pirate 
trailer <laughs> for, for want of a for want of a better description. Um, yeah, so I cut one of those together using obviously my years of experience as an editor, which is one of the things I ha- can sell myself with. And um, and uh, yeah, we showed it to Ben and I showed it to Katie and Liz at Signature, and I don't know if other people at Signature watched it, but they responded really well to it. They said this is exactly how we felt the film should feel. So we were all on the same page. And from then on, it was a case of cracking on with it, really. And, um, yeah, get, getting on with it. Interesting. Yeah, there's, I think that's something you always wonder. Like, how does someone get that opportunity? Like, what are the steps for that? Because we've seen first-time directors come in and really just do a fantastic job. But it's hard. You know what I mean? Like studios want that tried and tested. So yeah. Like yeah, what yeah. you have to do. So you, yeah. So it's like basically you're selling yourself with that sizzle reel. You know. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I had. I mean, I had. I had directed like a a seventeen minute sort of drama short before, maybe four or five years ago. But I mean, which shows that I've done something. So I wasn't <laughs> completely like uh, going into it completely cold, uh, but. Other than that and things I'd made back at university, I didn't really have a lot else to, to show other than, I guess, the choices I've made as an editor. Um, and and I think like some of the films that I've worked on, I think, although I'd never actually worked with Signature before, like I think they're, they're of a similar scale and of a similar um, style to some of the films that Signature put out. Um, so I think they probably were aware of some of my work on films as an editor and therefore again that's just it's just a bit more reassurance isn't it that like I've got that experience behind Mm. behind the uh, obviously not behind the camera but in post-production yeah and I I have to say I think um the power was extremely good extremely well put together and I think that picked up that got a lot of buzz from what I remember seeing around when, yeah, you know, just it did. When I thought, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That I thought that was just, you know, so well well crafted. So um, yeah, when I saw that you edited that, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, fantastic. Great, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the power did well. Um, I think it even got um, it got long listed for. Um, I think uh, Corinne Corinne got long listed for. Uh, the best debut British film at the BAFTAs last year or something like that for the power. So yeah, it's, it's been really well received. Very nice. Nice. So with, you know, just doing, um, was it Stumped, the film that you directed? Yeah, that was my short film. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So with just doing that and, but, you know, like, I think a lot of people do talk about editing as, like, a second director because sometimes the fil- that's when the film really comes together in the editing yeah. group, right? But just with that, like, what was it that kind of made you think, hey, I can get behind the camera, I can really tell a great story given the opportunity? Um, I guess just a hunger, like um, a hunger and a like a confidence that is um, earned through working with other directors as as their editor, like um, and seeing them. 
it's it's funny people have some people not everybody but some people have a misconception that an editor basically sits in the room and does what the director tells them to do and that is so far from the truth we quite often actually present the director with the first version of the film more often than not that we do and and if you're doing it right quite often the director doesn't change a lot like so it's 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 the, the the first thing they see is your interpretation of the footage that you've been given. It's not like you've not really been instructed to how to cut those shots together. It's all mm. on instinct and all on, all on just uh, based on experience and, and your, um, I guess we all have our own slight differences in cinematic language and grammar and how we like construct a scene and, and that. And I guess having done that enough, like, I mean, I, I don't know what the total is, but I think I've probably got like 15 or so feature film credits under my na- under my name and a, f- a few TV shows. I think um, like the confidence I get from yeah presenting it presenting a, an edit of a scene or the whole thing to a director and then going yeah great like might want to tweak a little bit here or there, but generally you know like you've done a pretty good job like and and that gives you the confidence um, to know how a scene is shot like to know how a scene should be covered um and obviously you want to sort of bring your own stamp to it and like but i do feel like sitting in an edit suite with countless countless different directors has been like a free film school in a way because you also hear it's almost like therapy as well like when you sit in an edit in an edit suite you 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 hear a lot of the horror stories like of what happened on set because you're not you're not there yeah yeah it's a safe space for a director, like <laughs> to just offload all of the all of the trauma that went on during production. Um, and I guess you learn as much from just listening to those anecdotes and stories as you do from actually working on the film. Um, so yeah, I guess like I mean, like, like I sort of touched upon slightly a minute ago. I mean, I went to university and did filmmaking at university, so I had a sort of foundation from that sort of mm. um but never really um uh yeah never really pushed on as a director from there because i went to university thinking i was gonna do directing and fell in love with editing uh, like because i was young and didn't really know what editing was at the time and it was yeah it was through doing my degree that i fell in love with editing and then that became my passion and my career choice for for well for the last 20 years really um and so I was not somebody who was like constantly banging the drum that I needed to direct. But when Ben presented me with this opportunity and and uh, responded to the script, I thought, yeah, this is something I want to give a go. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting because um yeah, I've, one of my friends Emily Al Fadi, you know, and she it's a bit similar to you. She started off editing, but has moved behind the camera a little bit of late. And yeah, she's like the way she talks about it, you know, having to bring that vision to the director and be like, yo, this is what I think the film is, you know, and I always find it seems really interesting because, you know, in doing that, because, you know, they haven't necessarily given you notes, be like, yo, I want this scene to be this and this to be that. So I mean, sometimes they have. Sometimes, to yeah. be fair, like yeah, of course they have. But some, but a lot of the time, you'll find that a bit a director is so busy doing production 
that they haven't really had a chance yet. Like, so you just crack on with it. Yeah, but it's like, um, do you kind of get a taste of their previous work to kind of let you think this is what they would want? Or do you just watch the footage and go, no, this is what speaks to me? Yeah, you, I, I think if you're, I think you have to have confidence in letting it speak to you. Like, yes, you, if there is, if there is a previous body of work, then you will watch it. Um, but I think you get into trouble if you start to second guess what you think a director wants. I think you, I th I, I, personally, I just, I don't try and do that. Like, I just try and present the best representation, what I think is the best representation of this scene with the footage that I've been given. Um, and, um, and then we, and then we sometimes like, uh, uh, like sometimes I've been, been asked to start the scene completely from scratch. Like again, like with notes, with, with more of a, of a specific direction from the director. And that's totally fine. Like, I think that's one of the things you have, you have to have, not even a thick skin you just have to not take anything personally if you spent three days cutting a scene and then a director comes in and goes actually that's not how i imagined it can we try it this way you just gotta go yeah of course you can because that's the fun of it like um um but yeah i think i think if you try and second guess uh, like obviously i think if you've worked with uh, like i've not i've not worked recurringly a lot with a direct with directors i've worked with a few a couple of times but a lot of the directors I've worked with have been first-time directors themselves when they've been making their first film. Um, so it's harder to get a sense of their previous body of work. If, if it's some, I mean, obviously they might have done shorts or music promos or commercials, but sometimes that's not actually that relevant. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time, actually, it's about discussions about um, shared shared taste uh, about films that, um, films to watch in 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 preparation and what um what other films might be giving off the same tone they're not, they're not ever sort of saying look let's copy this scene but it might be saying the feeling of that scene is what i'm trying to convey in this scene um so it's just about informing yourself that way okay no that makes a lot of sense man that makes a lot of sense now when you read the script what was it that like jumped out you at look <laughs> here we go again when you read the script what was it that jumped out at you you know that, that made you think oh i can and really want to tell this story um i i enjoyed the script like for something that is a survival thriller i really enjoyed the journey the characters go on um we're pitting young uh, urban like youthful Britain uh, against old tradition uh, um, aristocracy. Um, I just loved the sort of the two opposing sides of that story, like to have these young kids who aren't from very prosperous backgrounds um, versus um, a family that have inherited wealth, presumably for centuries like and have acres and acres of land on which to play mm. i just love the idea of that being a battleground and those being the two sides um and um yeah and it was but it was a but it felt adventurous and it felt fun even though it, at times like obviously we've got some harrowing deaths and some pretty gruesome action at times um but 
I always like thought there was elements of like even things like Stand by Me and um, uh, films that I grew up watching where kids set out on a journey. Even like The Goonies. I mean, there's there's not a lot in this film that you in Hounded that you could say is a reference to The Goonies, but it still had that feeling of kids going out beyond their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. No, um, and so those those sort of films I really enjoyed growing up, obviously. Um, and yeah, I just I just felt that when I when I read this script, I, it's the opportunity to make something that is uh, hopefully commercial that people will want to watch, but also is saying something about how the rich view the poor in in Britain. Um, and I mean, obviously, we started working on it in 2019, and and in the three years that have passed since, it's just become more and more pertinent uh, given the scope of the sort of economic landscape in Britain right now um it seems like it seems to be very pertinent right now yeah no definitely I mean did you have a say on like deaths and some of those things like did any of that change in the um, film we um we actually did change um and I'm not going to take credit for this, we changed the order of which people get killed off. Um, uh, and that is actually one of the blessings that COVID brought us because had we shot the film in 2020, people would die in the film in a different order. And um, in in during lockdown, when we realised that this film wasn't going to get made for a good couple of like it was going to be delayed production-wise for like a good few months if not more we took that opportunity to actually um share the script with some like people that we really trusted and started getting some opinions on what they thought of it people like who read scripts for a living and like other filmmakers and um and actually a couple of times the same comic kept coming back which was the order of the deaths is a bit too obvious and a bit too predictable um and so that actually we had a decent um, development Zoom session where we basically all sat down and went, well, actually, how can we make this less predictable? How can we make it far more interesting? How can we pull the rug from underneath our protagonists? And um, and without giving away too many spoilers, that, that got enacted. And actually, yeah, I mean, I'm much happier that we, that we did do that because essentially, again, trying not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but the... The first person who dies actually leaves the other three far more. Uh, it makes them feel like that sense of being fish fish out of waters yeah. is heightened even more than it was in the original version of Deaths, because um, mm. like all of a sudden they've got to, they've got to really step up, whereas before they had somebody who was stepping up for them. I yeah, I have to say that was one of the things because. I thought that person might get through, right? Mm. I think when you watch something like this, you know there will be deaths, right? No one's getting out clean. And so you think, you look at the characters and you think to yourself, hmm, they seem like they're a liability. I think that one's going to bite it. Well, and And, exactly that. And in the first first version of the script, the person who seems like he might be a liability, I've I've said he, I don't think that's giving too much away, but I think the person who you thought might be a liability was the first to get got. And Mm. then it was like, well, actually, if we don't do that, how can we be more interesting? 
yeah so yeah the first one that goes i yeah i was definitely like no i thought damn <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and the way they go i was just like oh that's not that's not fun that's definitely no, no. Not fun <laughs> well it's called it is called hounded for a reason <laughs> <laughs> well but the thing is though tommy the dogs look so cute they look friendly dogs. Like you want to sit down and be, hey, buddy, how you doing? I mean, I mean, the truth is, those hounds are—they are very—they are, are actually very uh, playful animals. Um, and um, but what was very amusing was um, we we obviously so we we're, we're already in our first week of production, and we I think we'd shot three days. And um, uh, on the fourth day, I think it was that we had was the first day where we had hounds in to film and um they come in pairs so you, you always get two like they're, they're trained they're not and i should say there's no such thing as film hounds they're not trained for camera they don't take direction they <laughs> so basically do the what they're, they they basically well they basically do as close to what their master tries to command them to do as possible um which isn't always <laughs> successful and certainly isn't always on camera um but anyway, so fourth day, these hounds turn up and we had 16 of them. And um, it's at that point that um, Malachi and Junior, who play the brothers in the film, both turn around to me and say, don't like dogs. And I'm like, you probably should have mentioned that uh, prior to us um, bringing in 16 massive black hounds. Um, and they were like for grown men. They were making some very whimperish noises. Um, <laughs> And so we actually had to have a, a quote-unquote uh, familiarisation session where basically these these two lads basically had to be jumped on and licked by these hounds that they were petrified of. And and it's not just like, it's, it's okay being petrified of one dog, but 16 dogs that just want to play because they think you're a toy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... Bless them. They made they made some very high pitched noises in that session. Um, but to their credit, by the end of the day, they were they were actually posing with the hounds with for photos. So we, um, if nothing else, we achieved um, two grown men's fear of dogs. <laughs> I, I'm sure they appreciate you telling the world <laughs> of, of their fear. <laughs> well, they, I think they I think they'll be glad there's no outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> the, although having being scared of dogs isn't necessarily a bad thing for this no, uh, of course yeah 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 <laughs> a very real lived fear yeah <laughs> i mean the first dog we meet that's the kind of dog i'm kind of i would envision would be uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the in the in the very first burglary you mean yeah yeah yes, yeah 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 yes yeah, well, that was the irony. We wanted to get something there that was like a proper, almost like the dog from the thing or something like that. Mm. Like, um, and um, yeah, this big sort of like really like vicious looking thing, which again turns out to actually be quite docile and a bit of a bit of a cutie. Um, but yeah, so we yeah, I mean, we were certainly playing on those uh, expectations there. Um, but yeah, the truth is, these these sixteen hounds that turned up, they yeah, they did they. <laughs> They only take direction if you basically throw cooked meat in the direction you want them to go in, and then they'll chase after it. I mean, we we had to resort to all sorts of tricks with them. We were putting, 
we were put, uh, like basically putting cooked rashers of bacon inside actors' pockets for them to try and find. And at one point, we were literally throwing hounds on. Uh, one of the, one of the poor actors was lying down while another hound was just jumping on top of him and like getting the camera in there as close to it as we could. I mean, yeah, again, some of the noises of fear, I don't think are acting. I think they're just um, very, very genuine. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, that sounds uh, like it might, be, might have been an interesting time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was, it, I mean, interesting is not the word I would use. It was, um, it was <laughs> exasperating, I think. It's like, I mean, there's, yeah, you, like, the problem is, as a director, you're trying to be prepared. And um, I storyboarded all of the sequences with the dogs just because I, I knew it was going to be hell. Like, I knew it was going to be difficult. There's no, there's a reason there's the classic cliche of don't work with animals and children. It's like, mm -hmm. um, like, and it's all well and good working with animals that have actually been trained for camera. But these ones, like I say, these ones hadn't. Um, so I storyboarded these sequences, not because I was like, gone ho about like well, these are the shots that I absolutely have to have but I, honestly within about three hours of trying to film these dogs I'd literally thrown my storyboards in the air and almost stormed off because I was like well they're useless <laughs> so it was a case of uh, very much just feeling our way through some of those scenes and just uh, res we responded to the dogs rather than the dogs responding to us right okay so how did it add any extra time to the shoot? Uh, no, no, to be fair, it was no. Um, no, because like we always got there were uh, so Stephen who owns the hounds, he was always up front um, and there was a, a colleague of his called Dom who works with him as well. They do they still do a lot of this um, obviously fox hunting is banned, but they do um, what they call trail hunting, which is where they lay a scent for the dogs yeah, to yeah. and so somebody goes out in the morning and then an hour or two later they let the dogs they attach the dogs to the scent and then the dogs just basically run after this scent for a couple of miles all excited and aroused by the smell of it um and so we'd we'd um yeah got in touch with one of those uh, organized hunts and um yeah they explained to us very early on they said look the dogs are incredibly energetic but they will hit a, they will hit the edge of uh, the shelf of their tiredness and then after that you're done with them so we always knew we only had a certain amount of time per day that we could film them so it was a it, it was a case of just get get as much as you can in that window and then um so we, we yeah we were fortunate in that regard like we managed we did manage to get everything we needed well we got everything we got as much as we thought we needed and then it's one of those like i say because we're very much the footage, we were responding to them. It was, that was definitely, some of those sequences were very much like make it work in the edit and just hope you've got it in the can. Right, right. Uh, would you say that was the hardest part of the shoot, the whole dog part, or was something else even more challenging? No, that was definitely, yeah, that was, that was definitely the hardest, yeah. I mean, there was that fourth, that fourth day uh, when we first had the hounds in, uh, uh, I'm not afraid to say like, at lunchtime, I literally went into a room by myself and just questioned what on earth I was doing. <laughs> like, because it was, it was, I was, that was the, that was as despairing as I got because I was like, this is mad. Why did I agree to do this? Um, 
And, uh, and Ben, the producer, to be fair to him, pulled me to one side. He said, look, you're trying to chase the perfect shots. Your storyboards aren't going to work. Like, just get in there. Like, just get in there and get messy. And we did. And we got great stuff in the afternoon. And pretty much everything you see from that first uh, from that first death with the hounds is, um, is, is from that day. Uh, okay. Okay. Nice. And... You, so you storyboard you well you attempted to storyboard the dog parts. What about the rest of the film? Do you storyboard or did you take a different approach? Um, a storyboard, a storyboard uh, scenes which I can't um, fully work out how I need to cover them, if that makes sense. So certain scenes, I, like in in my mind, I can just write. Okay, I know exactly. I know. I need this wide shot. I need these two close-ups, and I need this, whatever it is. Um, where it got more a bit more complicated, um, if I'm not, and maybe it's just as my inexperience as a as a director at this stage, but if I wasn't sure exactly how many setups I thought I needed to cover a scene, then I would just storyboard it and try and figure, just storyboard it as if it was edited, and then just. Um, figure out if actually some of those storyboards are all part of the same angle. It's just that they've developed slightly so mm. that I can figure, uh, figure out just if, if actually is that two shots or is actually, is actually those two frames that, are, that aren't side by side on the storyboard. Are they actually the same setup just developed later on? Um, and then, yeah. And then, and then I did, I would do a shot list or a little camera map sometimes as well. Like I, I didn't have a hard or fast rule for like how to, prepare for all of it like some some days some locations were late as in we didn't agree the location till we're already in production so I, I I didn't when you when you're already on the hamster wheel of production I didn't really find myself having the time to storyboard stuff because I'm like I'm an able drawer but I'm not a fast drawer so yeah. I knew it would take I knew it would take time uh, so sometimes it would be more a case of me sketching out the location or the room that we were going to film in and just figure out, just putting the little triangles where I want the camera and figuring out which, which ones. And, and then almost doing a priority list to saying, right, well, if we're really up against it, which one am I getting rid of? Uh, which one can I live without? Okay. Now what happens, it always fascinates me, like on how you select those shots, right? How do you, like when you read something, do, do you automatically think that's a close up? Okay, so that shot, that's a panning shot. Like, what, how does that come to you? Um, I don't think it comes on first read, certainly not to me. I mean, it might do to others. Um, I, I spent a good six weeks prior to shooting, like prior to going into pre production, uh, rereading the script, like in in meticulous like detail like um and writing i i had like a a, a, a notebook where i basically wrote everything that qu i questioned in that script in that scene so for instance they do in like we start with uh, our gang doing a burglary of a uh, of a nice sort of country looking house and uh, the very first thing i would write would be like how many times have they done this before how many, like, are they nervous about doing this? Do they, like, all these sort of questions that the actors might want to ask me, um, and I might want to ask myself, 
But in doing that, I start to figure out what's important about the scene um, and what the feeling is for that scene. Um, I don't always get it. Like, you don't always find the answer. Or what. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking for, but I'm just almost doing it as an exercise. But, but what that might say is, like, oh, actually, there's a lot of, like, so in the second burglary, for instance, when Chaz goes in, Chaz is in for the first time. Like yeah. It's the first time he's ever stepped over that threshold. That threshold is a big deal. Like it's like starting to put emphasis on like the doorway. The doorway then becomes a gateway to Chaz sort of becoming part of the gang, fully initiated, and all that sort of stuff. So it's about slowing down that moment a little bit and just um, putting the emphasis on the door creaking and little things like that. Like um, just like there's. Like, like I say, there's no sort of right or wrong answer for that for me. It's just like, I just, I almost just do, um, I forget what they call it, but it's like a brainstorming. I just almost word association with scenes and all that sort of stuff. And and in doing that, I think I find what I feel personally is important about the scene. And, and if it's, uh, and sometimes it might be that um, the the Redwick, the aristocratic family are domineering. And so therefore, are we always shooting up at them? So they feel big and like omnipresent. And or and therefore, are we always shooting down at a kid act, like at our youth mm. actors and, and, and little things like that. And I mean, that might be really obvious to some directors and some filmmakers. But like I say, having, having less experience, having not done a lot of it myself, I, f- I feel like, that's just my sort of homework for want of a better for better for better phrase yeah um yeah and and then it's like it's it's i think the more you do it then the quicker you get with each scene you kind of go okay well this is this is harking back to that feeling i had earlier and and um i mean we chose like when when the kids first get abandoned in the field i really wanted them to as an example i really wanted them to feel like little little blots on the landscape like so we really pulled wide to just show how vast that the english countryside can be and if you're not familiar with it that's actually quite intimidating because if you cannot see a building or any sign of civilization and in in a modern era where people are dependent on phones and they've had their phones taken away from them Mm. and they and and these kids you could ask these kids which way north is and they wouldn't have a clue like no hey one of them knew how to make a compass. Yeah, but he didn't have the needle with which to make it, which is why, which is why I always love that gag. Um, but yeah, and I just like so it was always a case of like, and then, and again, that's where you you're looking at your references as well and the things that you're thinking about. And if you watch Stand by Me, there's a lot of shots of Stand by Me, which are shot from fields and fields away, mm. like where these where these kids are just these four dots walking along the horizon, and so. Those are the sort of things I was feeling. Like, in the, the, I guess another thing we were always trying to do, Martina, who was the cinematographer, we talked a lot about um, uh, westerns. Like, we talked a, a lot about how westerns incorporate landscape within, like, uh, yeah. how the, how they frame a character, basically, um, and how the landscape within a western is is like massively important. Um, so I watched quite a few westerns, and obviously, like, I mean, the standout ones for me are the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns. So, watching things like A Fistful of Dollars and um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and all those sort of things, and, and looking at how they frame certain bits, and 
look, I'll be very honest. You, sometimes you do watch a scene and you go, oh, that, that'd be great for that moment. So you do borrow. Like, mm. like you're definitely borrowing sometimes a little framing here or there. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think, um, you know, everyone would admit to that. Well, yeah, of course. Well, what's it? I think Picasso says great art is just good stealing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. And um, The Harder They Fall last year was tremendous. You know, we got some uh, just those shots of people in the horizon and just, mm. yeah, I, I, I really love that one. But no, that makes, that's an interesting point. Uh, that's interesting, you know, because I, I, I mean, to be honest, Tommy, watching this, you never would have thought this, you know, first time director. But well, like, thank you. That's great. Honestly, and it, it's not just because you're sitting in front of me, but I really enjoyed this film, right? Because I think mean, there's other films that have, you know, been kind of similar to this in in you know story. Like we, there's a film early two thousands. I think it's Contender Seven. Oh uh, yes, I've, I'm aware of it. I've not seen it actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was really. Uh, if I'm right, in was that was that a found footage or was it really small budget? Wasn't it? It was, like, it was small budget. I think it was like. An, a reality TV. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was almost like yeah. a Big Brother hunting thing, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was the kind of because I think Big Brother was big at the time, and it was kind yeah. of playing on that. And then last year there was that American one that kind of got kept on getting pushed back, and it finally came out. Um, the hunt. I, the yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The hunt. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look, obviously, like, yeah, there's the hunt, and also. Um, like uh, don't breathe is another sort of mm. uh, like where where the tables get turned on the invaders. I mean, yeah, I mean in that in that regard, and I mean if you go way way back, there's um there's a uh, really old film I think from like twenty seven which is called the most dangerous game, and it's like I think oh. that's one of the first the first examples of um, humans being hunted on in cinema. I think um, yeah. So look, we're not we're not reinventing the genre there. Um, no, but, this... but, but but what I wanted to do was try and put a slightly different slant on it. To be honest, yeah. Yeah, no, but that's the thing, right? Like we 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 got like examples of this type of story, but this didn't feel like you know we're just walking in their footsteps. It, it felt you brought something fresh to the table, and I think that's what was really interesting about it. You know, there was. At the beginning, what I thought was really interesting is usually when you see people doing crime and stuff like that, it's a, it's like you don't really get a justification or it's, well, there's no, nothing else we can do. But in this, Leon is like, we could get other jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, nah, I, what, do a zero contract? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you thought, yeah, that's honest. Right, yeah. but we don't get that often, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so there was these conversations and and just like the twists, right? Because both groups have their own kind of moral code. Yes, absolutely. Going yeah. by, which I yeah. thought again really interesting. Well, it, so, and there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between the two groups as well, mm. like, um, which is which is a testament to Ray and Dean's writing. I think that was always very very obvious from the start that actually. You could 
uh, I, I know what side of the fence I'm on in this in this film, yeah. but I think there'll be viewers who are on the other side of the fence, oh. and I think they'll probably enjoy it for all the reasons that I that they probably shouldn't. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there is that, and so that's the thing. I, I thought this film it stands on its own two feet. It it tells its own version of the story, and the it's a really nice little playoff. There's, I think you get to a point and I think, I was thinking, oh, I think this might happen. But then it gets flipped again and you're like, oh, I did not see that. And that was good. Right. That was right. nice. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, did you, like when you read it, was that the exact ending or was there any changes to that part? Um. Well, uh, oh, Tommy, he's still there. Sorry, it just oh. went. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, yep. I, I, you froze for a it minute. Just, it just dropped for a second. Yeah, so obviously we we talked about the change of death order. Now, uh, the change of death order does not just drastically impact who died first, but it also impacted. Therefore, who died last out of the, out of our gang, um, and so that had quite a different emotional uh, uh, payoff, I guess, for want of a better mm. word. Um, um, and then, uh, like the scene, the scene uh, later on, which is a little bit of a nod to American Werewolf in London, um, was always yeah. there. That was always that was always like that. Uh, uh, the choice that that. Um, our final character again. I'm trying not to spoil it. Uh, the choice that our final character gets presented with was always there, but we always wrestled with what the decision should be, um, right. and uh, um, and how much the aristocracy should get away with was the other thing. Mm. Um, and actually, like the the cynic in me, and um, because I I wanted, I think, I hope we've made a film that's got actually a fair bit of optimism and heart about it but actually it's quite a cynical ending in that yes the rich just carry on getting away with it um but i wanted to i, I thought that was quite important we debated it there was quite a lot of conversation around that when we were developing uh, when we were redrafting the script over the covid period it was like oh, is there an opportunity to do something different with the ending but actually we we did stick with the original ending even though we tried a few different things um because ultimately the truth is the rich can buy themselves out of trouble, and that was mm. the point. Um, um, so yeah, so that, that so that didn't change, although it wasn't through uh, just exercising ideas there. Yeah, but it was a more a case of making sure we've got it right. Yeah, no, but I I really liked that ending because when you think about it, yeah, of course, right? And like, how many times have we seen? those parallels in real life you know you think epstein right mm. he got convicted for pedophilia but then was able just to carry on yeah right it's like boris got caught at parties was able to carry on for a good chunk of time yeah. it well, and, and, and that's the thing i mean we one of the themes that we were really talking about when we were making this was about the sense of entitlement and i think that that is the ultimate, uh, like, 
comment on it at the ending. It's just like we'll just buy our way buy our mm. way out of this. Um, yeah, but I mean, we and, but we talked about entitlement with um, the kids as well who were playing kids from South London. Like um, entitlement, your sense of entitlement exists whether or not you're born into money or you're born into austerity. It's just the sense of entitlement is drastically different. It's, it's almost about what you feel you're not entitled to, like for 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 large portions of the like uh, more poorer backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there was an interesting conversation between two of the characters, and it was just like, oh shit! Like it, it would have been interesting to see where that might have gone if things had gone a little bit differently. But everyone had their you know I think sometimes when you get groups of people they all seem a bit similar mm. right I just remember watching some episodes of Dawson's Creek and I was mm. like everyone talks the same and yeah. it's just like in a group of friends not everyone doesn't talk exactly the same you know but we we often do see that and think but in this everyone had their own distinct character which I thought really played well. And, you know, because we, it's a very small cast, but everyone, you know, from the Red... Red... The, Redwicks. The Redwicks. Yes. <laughs> or or Red, Reddicks. Reddicks, I'm told it's actually pronounced, but we were always oh, pronouncing okay. it. We were always <laughs> pronouncing it Redwicks. <laughs> but, yeah, everyone just really gave a, just a really great performance, you know? Like, how were you able to get that from them is it just you know because obviously they they've all been in other things and they've done great performances but with this did you kind of talk to anyone give them like playlists what was the thing which you utilized to get those performances um I mean it's different for each person like and some conversations some actors want more more of a conversation than others like um some don't want any so, like in all honesty, um, uh, I, like, and we, we, I obviously got, I obviously got to spend a lot more time with the four kids. Like, um, so there's, so they felt like, and also they're they're less experienced as actors as well because obviously they're up against Samantha Bond and Larry Lamb and Nick Moran, mm. who've got they've got years and years and years of experience, um, um. But that's not to say that they were found wanting, because I I think they're brilliant in this. Like I think and I think um, uh, a couple of the performances um, really really looked like have, have drawn people in. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, like for instance, Hannah who plays Vix, we me and her talked a lot before, um, and we talked about um, her upbringing and uh, perceptions of who she should be in society or who she should be as an actor mm. and how Vix is kind of a great representation of who she, she, who she might really be or some, something along those sort of lines. Yeah. We just, we talked a bit more about backstory with Vix. We talked about maybe she, she, well, I mean, and it gets alluded to slightly in some of her dialogue in the, in the film, but like in early versions of the draft, earlier versions of the script, there was a lot more about, her having an abusive upbringing so it was like about maybe going to a slightly darker place for her um with with Chaz who's played by Malachi it was about ambition it was about breaking out of a mold like and um we talked about 
sort of what upbringing he'd had and like um and even just something as simple as him being an actor in a family of non-actors is is quite uh quite different like mm. um and and just seen as a little bit more like not more but as in uh unique if, if yeah. What, yeah unique like um struggling to find my words but but he like and how like so obviously he could he could portray that to Chaz like and um and talking about friends he'd brought up, been brought up with and how actually they were only ever really like some of them were just one bad decision away from getting into a life of of small crime and things like that um so yeah I mean a lot of that's about their background experience and then and then like um with some of the older actors like um uh sometimes in all honesty I didn't have as much time as ideally I would have liked um in preparation but that's because we were a small small budget film and um they have other commitments and uh, they were on other jobs and we were only getting them for three or four days out of the whole shoot um but you but you have a conversation beforehand if you can like I had a great conversation with James Lance who plays Hugo I had a really good conversation and we talked about our relationship with our parents and um and how how that might affect his choices in the role. Um, and I spoke to uh, James Faulkner, who was already very, very uh, educated in a lot of the traditions of um, like the red coats and, and mm. all, like all the way back through like British, like he knew, like it was very apparent very early on that he knew a lot about like the British empire and, like colonization and all of that sort of stuff so he was able to sort of bring all of his education on that and and sort of put that into his role of Remington um so yeah like yeah every every act is very different um and some want you to uh some like sometimes they want to know just where they've been in this in the story and sometimes it's more a case of like it's just about what to react to there and then rather than where they've been and and yeah i mean i mean that's the that's the one place for me as a as a first time feature director where i was least confident because um obviously that's uh, like technically i was confident that i knew how to cover a scene technically mm. i was confident that i knew if we'd i knew if we'd be able to shoot the scene for me to make it work in the edit uh, the great unknown quantity for me going into this with the exception of having done a, a, a short film, which was only a three day shoot with only three actors in, um, was being able to, to uh, work with and collaborate and direct uh, like nine principal cast, basically. Um, and and I, I, I think, I mean, the key to that is just being very honest, like, um, and um, not being afraid to give your very honest opinion. You know, you never, it's not like not even a question of being critical or anything like that, but like just watching a performance and just saying, well, okay, um, I wasn't quite feeling this, which I thought I would do, or uh, what what you just gave there was lovely, but maybe if you could slow it down a little bit or take a take a breather here or there, like um, and so yeah, uh, uh, but I guess I guess every director is different with every actor who is also different. So in that in that sense, you are almost an infinite number of combinations of how you deal with how one all directors deal with all actors if you know what i mean mm. 
Yeah, no, for real. It's um, <clears throat> it's always interesting hearing these different approaches to things, you know, because everyone comes at it in so many different ways, you know? Like, what do you think, like, you know, obviously you, you just talked about the interaction with the actors and, you know, you also nine principal actors, but as you said, 16 furry friends as well. And, and, and four horses as well. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, fortunately, the horses, fortunately, the horses were proper film trained horses. Like um, there's a company called Stampede who um, did did all our horse horses for us, and they were great. Like, right. like they would go exactly where you needed them to go. <laughs> uh, so in 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 uh, up and coming films, maybe more horses, less dogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, and that's and that's the other thing. I've sort of like the West, like I talked about Western cinematography earlier. It's like, like when I was looking for films to reference and look at, like you start to think, well, well, what films have got loads of horses in? Well, obviously it's Westerns. So mm. it was it was very useful in that regard to just watch a load of how do you shoot horses, like, and the very different ways of shooting horses. I mean, the horses in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, or Fistful of Dollars, are shot quite differently to the horses in like seven samurai or something like that yeah, yeah no for sure so other than those things do you, what else do you think this experience has kind of taught you to go forward with oh uh ooh, let's have a think about that um <laughs> i i don't i like i don't know if it taught me or maybe reaffirmed but it's just like just a willingness to work like um and um i think as a director like you like i always remember watching this um back behind the scenes footage of uh, uh sydney lumet on um dog day afternoon and he was running around the set outside the bank that al pacino's holding up and he's running he is sprinting from one side of the set to the other shouting on a megaphone like and I just thought, like, there's a guy who is just leading through infectious energy, like, mm. um, and setting, not not saying, like, everybody has to run everywhere A to B or anything like that, but it's just, like, I, I found myself, like, I'd be like, I knew how tight time was. We had a short schedule, and um, and so it would be like, right, we're moving from this field to that field now, and it'd be like, where's Tommy? And they'd be like, oh, there he is. He's already sprinting across the field. <laughs> I'm like, come on, let's go. Because I just felt like, like, even when it's going, like when the dogs aren't going, when the dogs aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, like, there's a reason I took myself off to the closed private room because I didn't want anyone else to see me despairing in that moment. Because yeah, and I'm set because then I'm setting a tone, and I didn't want to set that tone. Um, I mean, look, it's it's it was tough, like at times, like, and it's not um um. I'm cautious to sound like a, it was a rosy, like perfect production. It wasn't. The schedule was tight, and like, yeah, sometimes like it just gets really tense on set at times. But as long as you're doing it, I almost like, I, I, like, as long as you're doing it for uh, with the best of intentions, and it's and it's never personal. Like, like sometimes, yeah, you are raising your voice and saying, "Please, come on, please, guys, we really need to get going, get going." Like, um. I had a when I used to play football as a youngster. So I had a moniker of Tommy two times because I always shouted everything twice, 
and um, I found myself doing it again on set. I just repeat the same instruction <laughs> twice, just straight off the bat. And I got called Tommy two times because there's a character in Goodfellas, like who's, I think he says, "I'm going to get get the papers, get the papers." And it's like one of one of my football one of my football teammates had probably watched Good uh, Goodfellas that week and realised I was that guy. And then I became Tommy two times on the football pitch ever after. I think you're, you're definitely right, though. It's like you can set the tone, you know, of, of what needs to be done and how it should be done, right? It is, yeah. I definitely found that on a lot of the work that I've done, um, that the energy that you bring can then be replicated in other people because they see you energized and people are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do this. This can be done. And everyone kind of can get into that kind of mindset and zone. So, yeah, you know, it's definitely a, an important... Yeah, and that's not... I, like, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who takes myself too seriously. Like, so it's, it's again, it's also setting that tone. It's like, what yeah. we're doing when we're working is serious, but, like, let's enjoy it at the same time as well. So it's like trying to set that tone as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did um, a conference in Vancouver a few years back and we were like up at half five in the morning and we were going until like eight at night and it was like a lot of work but man just thinking back to that it was such a fun time because everyone we just all worked together supported each other and little things came up but we were able to deal with them and it's just like I think it's those situations that you kind of can look back at and go, oh yeah, I can do this. I know how to do this. I've done it before in that instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, th I think the other thing is like, I think like what I was saying a minute ago was like, like that, um, that being prepared to, to graft, to be a hard worker. Like um, I, I've never dealt with this myself, but you hear stories of like directors who are just like, oh, I'm not like, like almost like I, I would be like helping people move equipment. And I know that there are directors who are like, well, look, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they might be, they might listen to me and think, well, you're mad. You don't have to, but I'm like, I just like, if I'm prepared to muck in, then hopefully everyone else is prepared to muck in. And it just helps create that team ethic. Like we're all working together. We're all in this together. And yes. Okay. I'm the director on the film, but like, that doesn't mean that I, think I'm supposed to do any less work than anyone else I feel like in fact I feel like I should be doing if I don't feel like I'm doing twice as much as anyone else I probably feel like I'm slacking mm. yeah I, not, I, not to say that I was doing twice as much as anyone else it's just that if I don't feel like it yes no I, I know exactly what you mean like um I worked at a cinema during when I was at uni and I always thought like I can't ask people to do things that I'm not prepared to do myself yeah, absolutely yeah you know, so I think it's people respond to that mentality, yeah. you know. Now, so I think that all reaffirmed what you could do. But was there anything about this film which you were just like, ah, I wish I had more time or more to do this? Because there's stuff that you weren't able to do because of budget or anything else? Uh, I mean... I mean, no director in the world is ever going to tell you he wants less time and less money. So, I mean, 
if you'd have given me more money and more time, yes, I'm sure we would have done more. Um, but there becomes a point where you 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 just make with what you've got, right? And um, hmm. and and also, I do I do feel like actually having restrictions on time and restrictions on money that you can spend they force you into a creative corner like um that that i don't always see uh represented in some of these tentpole massive films where there is no ceiling and yeah. you know they've just always been told yes you can do what you want yes you can do what you want and actually they just become quite stale as as a film by the end of it because there's it feels like they've not had to really get creative in terms of thinking their way out of these restrictions um i mean there's a there's a slew of films that have gone on to certain streamers recently and i just watch them and just think they're so mediocre and they've had unlimited resources and i'm just like doesn't there's no guarantee of quality is it having quantity in terms of uh finances and time yeah yeah there's definitely been there's been a few ones that were talked about as being oh this this and then i watched it and i was like i don't know what the fuck they're just was. they're just content yeah yeah it, it's just yeah. like story was there a story that was so sloppy it was like yeah. effects but boy that yeah. was it and and yeah i think giving like having those restrictions definitely pushes you to be creative to think out the box with things yeah and it, and and i mean going back you asked me earlier about how to decide how like whether we're panning on a shot or whether we're tight on a shot sometimes they were right how can i shoot this scene with two angles basically or sometimes how can i shoot the scene with one angle like one cut like mm. no, sorry one shot no cuts like because like yeah, given more time, I probably would have tried three or four angles. But actually, you then really start to uh, break down that scene and go, right, what is actually the vital thing here? And if that is the vital thing, how do I convey that to the audience um, through a single setup? Um, yes. And yeah, like I say, if I'd have had another two, three weeks of production, I might not have been forced to think that way. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. So, you know, this is, man, you finished it. I mean, um, how has the initial response been? Well, we so we had our world premiere at uh, Fright First on the August Bank holiday. Um, that's the first public screening we had, obviously, being a world premiere. Um, and then it's, that's, uh, been its only screening so far. We're currently, where are we at? We're uh, at the time of recording. We're in early October. It's coming out on October the thirty-first on all the digital platforms, and then we're getting. A, we're also getting a very small theatrical uh, release at a couple of um, showcase cinemas around the country. Okay. Um, uh, so the only response I've uh, been able to garner so far is from the audience that were there or the press that previewed it ahead of Fright Fest but so far so good yeah like what, what's been really enjoyable is that people enjoyed it uh, um, really really responded to some of the characters uh, but also um, what I've really enjoyed which I wasn't I, I, never, I, I don't know if I had anticipated or not but what I've really enjoyed is actually that almost everybody comments on 
that they like the fact that we're making a comment on class division in Britain and that they're they're watching an enjoyable survival thriller, but also being provoked into thinking about that at the same time. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. It, but sometimes those things aren't always that clear, and you're reading the editor notes that get sent through. You're like, uh, this film is talking about this and this, and you're like, I, I, I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I never yeah. saw that. If you hadn't yeah. said it in the notes, I would not. I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think we're like I think like I don't think we're being like particularly subtle. I hope we're not being too on the nose, but um, I don't think we're. Yeah, we never we never were trying to shy away from ask, posing some of those questions. Um, so yeah, like, like it's good that people are talking about it. Mm, no, for sure, man, for sure. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, it's, people are going to definitely gravitate to it. Because I think it's just the conversations, you know. There's another thing, right? Oftentimes when you have groups, the conversation just feels odd. Like, it'd be like, people don't talk like that. But in everything that was getting said in this, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, this might be a bad grills. Fucking eight bear grill. Yeah, you know I mean, just these yeah. little, just those little yeah. things. It just yeah, felt the, yeah. The banter, the, the banter felt yeah, the, yeah. The, it felt like I mean that was a great thing. These these four guys like hung out for about a week before we started filming, and then spent three weeks together filming. But they really did feel like they'd known each other for years, which was great. Yeah, no, it, it's really good. So this is now done, essentially. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. Are, are, are you thinking about that next project? Have you started that next project? Like, what's going to be next, Tommy? Um, well, I mean, immediately next, I'm, I'm editing again. Uh, so I'm currently editing a series for ITV, which um, will be out in uh, spring 2023, I think. Um, okay. Which you... is... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I could, uh, it's, on, it's on IMDb, so I don't think it's any secret. I'm doing a series called Malpractice, which is directed by phil barantini who did boiling point oh i really enjoyed boiling point yeah that was, it was great yeah yeah um, great in that. So, yeah so um yeah i'm doing a couple of episodes out of five um and um it stars neve algar from um she was in calm with horses and uh the ridley scott um what's it called the wolves uh raised by wolves um um and she's great. She's like she's the lead actor in it, and she's um she's phenomenal. Like she's great to edit. Um. So yeah. So that's been that's been the immediate thing. And then um yeah, there's a couple of conversations about uh what I might do next with a couple of different producers. Um, but nothing solid and nothing concrete yet. Okay. And um, you know, is this just really ignited that director kind of voice in your head? Like, do you want to? Do direct more films or are you? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm very fortunate, and I don't take it for granted that I'm also like doing pretty well as as an editor and it, mm. as as its own thing. Um, and I never, as I said earlier, it's like I was never it, like I obviously chose editing as a career path for the last well, close to twenty years, and. Um, I was never, I was never 
desperately in a rush. I know a lot of uh, filmmakers are banging the drum and they really want to be uh, a director and then it's like, and they do other things to get there and then they almost think that, oh, I've directed a film and I can draw a line in the sand now and I'm never doing any of those previous things again. I, well, I was, I, I'm fortunate that A, I seem to be doing all right as an editor, but B, I absolutely love editing as well, like for other for other people's projects. Um, so I was never in a rush and I'm still not in a rush to disown it. Like, mm. um, so like, and that's, which is quite nice because it means I can, I feel, I feel like I can take my time about making sure that, yes, I do want to direct again. And yes, I would like to direct more and more in the future, but it doesn't have to be immediate. So I can be a bit more selective about maybe what that might be next and take my time with it while I continue to edit. That's cool, man. Yeah. Oh, awesome. But, you know, on, on the strength of this, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what you uh, you do next. And you right. know, I admit, like I really enjoyed like the power and um, some of your other stuff. So yeah, on the editing front, if, you know, if you just do more of that in the next minute, hey, not a bad thing either. Yeah. Right. So, Tommy, really appreciate the time. Great. Man. Thank you, Kevin, and thank and thank you for the support. Really oh, appreciate it. No worries at all, man. I, you know what I mean? I just say what I see. And if, if I really enjoy a film, then boom, I'm, you know what I mean? That's it. So, yeah, no, fantastic film, great cast. You know, everyone involved did a, a really great job, man. So, yeah, congratulations, man. Congratulations. I hope when it hits, the, you know, everywhere that people really um, get to it. And I kind of feel they will do, man. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those that it's going to come out on all the usuals like Amazon video, like to rent on Amazon and iTunes and Google Play and all those Sky stores and all that. But it's one of those ones where if people like it, please spread the word because we we might not get the loudest amount of press and advertising. So it'd be, it'd be dependent on everyone telling, telling their mates to watch it. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, no, man, I think it will do well, you know what I mean? So, hey, good luck with that. And, yeah, when you've got another project, man, come back and let's have another sure. conversation. For sure. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you very much. People, go check out. Um... Oh, my God, my mind just went <laughs> blank. Hounded. It's called Hounded. It's yeah. Hounded. Oh, my days. I'm so sorry, Tori. Just suddenly, I just like, boom. I was like, what am I doing? Right, yeah, go check out Hounded. <laughs> it's a great survival thriller. Yes. So uh, do that. Thanks, story. Thank you. Okay, people, so that's it, right? Real interesting, you know what I mean? Tommy was great. Really appreciate these time signatures. Thank you for this shit up. And remember, people, there's two other parts, right? So in part one, we take a look at three films, Vespa, The School of Good and Evil, and VHS 99. Part two, 